Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. I was trying to think, I don't know that I know any bad stories, so you made me have to think about it though, see if I could pull any up, but I wouldn't tell them anyway. I'm glad to be here with you today. I wish that my family was here. Um, I, I'm married and I have four daughters, and if you want to see a picture of them, I brought some prayer cards and they're back there on the table to the right as you're going out the door, and you can grab one of those. If you're going to grab it, you got to promise you're going to keep it and pray for us, okay? It's not a big, bulky prayer card. So it's not something that, it's, but it should be able to fit in your pocket, use it as a bookmark, put it on your fridge, you know, those kind of things. And uh, pray, for, pray for me because all four of my children are girls. And so there's a lot of hair, there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of emotions that go around. I, I think every day, I haven't marked it, but I should probably mark on the calendar days where there's not crying in my house. And it's going to get worse. <laughs> I just know. My oldest is 12, so it's just going to get worse from here on out. And uh, it, yeah, so <laughs> some of you know where I, where I live in that. I live in North Carolina, about a mile from the college where we went to, to school. And I've worked on staff there twice. In the middle, I was a youth pastor and on staff at a church, Grace Baptist Church, uh, in uh, Newcastle, Indiana. And I remember when your pastor was on deputation, and he came through, and we ate at a Mexican restaurant. I still remember that. And uh, so I feel like I've been here before. I was talking with Brandon earlier about that, and, and he said, There's not, it's not possible for you to have been here before if you came in 2005 or six. I, I traveled with the college group, and we came through this area of Nevada at one point. And so in my mind, I had been here. And I know we've prayed for you guys. I know I've seen pictures of the front of the church. And so I think in, in because of that, I've imagined myself being here, even though that's not possible. But uh, I am glad to be here with you. I've been excited about it since, uh, since Pastor invited me to come. And he probably told me that we were having a special event today. But congratulations on 12 years. Uh, you are an established church. And that is, that is exciting to see. That even, even if all I did was pray, I do feel like there's some part of me that has, has been here as far as that's concerned and see that God is using you to, to grow people and to see people saved. That's exciting because we, we definitely need that here in America. We definitely need God to be working and working through churches. So Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. And if you remember, uh, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking this glorious sermon and at the end of it, people marveled, they were astonished, uh, because he spoke as one that had authority and not, not as the scribes. And, and I think some of that authority came through because they, they were authoritative, because they, they established their own sets of rules and things like that. But what, what Jesus does was different than what they did, because from the very beginning, he is speaking to the heart. Matthew chapter 5 starts this, and it's the Beatitudes, attitudes of the heart, poor in spirit, a humble, those kind of things. And then he says in, in chapter number 6, he talks about giving alms, and he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. When you, when you give alms, it should be in secret, where the Pharisees, they made a show of how much money they were putting in the offering box, and, and they wanted people to know how much they gave. And and when you pray, he says, enter into your closet. It's not about how loud and how uh, eloquent you are when you pray. It's you speaking with God. And God will honor you publicly if that's what you need, but you need to speak in secret to your Father. And, and then he goes on and says things like, 
You've heard of old time, it says, Thou shalt not kill. That is true. But I say unto you, Whoso hateth his brother hath committed murder already. You know, if you've got a problem with your brother and it's, it's on that line of hate, and you've thought about those things, you've committed that sin in your heart, whether you've done it physically or not. And he goes on in verse 28 of chapter 5, and he says, You've heard of it old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery in his heart already. He is speaking to the issues of the heart. And, and I say that in context of the passage that we're going to be in this morning uh, of Matthew 6. And we'll start reading in verse number 24. I don't know if your Bible gives you paragraph indicators. Mine does. Uh, but in verse 24, it starts a paragraph that goes through to the end. And so it, that's important because we, we can take verse 24 and think that it's disjointed from the rest, but we ought not do that. Verse number 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Consider uh, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you of ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage today, we need you because we're human beings and we can often misinterpret things, but we need your Holy Spirit to help us to understand it. And Lord, we, we want to know you. We want to know your will. And I pray that you would show us a little bit of that today and that we could walk out of here knowing that we can live like you want us to live, and we can navigate the trials of life as you want us to. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in every heart as is needed, and you know that work that needs to be done. We thank you for this church being here and the 12 years that it has, and I pray that you'd give it many more years of seeing people saved and growing and working through issues that, uh, that our lives bring, up, bring upon us. And we, Lord, we just thank you for what you're going to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage, I don't know if you noticed, but several things jump off the page to me. And, and I want to notice in verse number 25, he says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. And then in verse number 27, he says again, Which of you by taking thought? Verse number 28, why take ye thought? Notice verse number 31, therefore take no thought. Also verse 34, take therefore no thought. Do you notice a theme? that he is saying, don't take thought, don't think. Now, he's, he's not saying, don't think about your life, don't, take, don't make plans, but the ideas that he's coming across with are, don't fear, don't worry, don't doubt, because that's what this is, is 
concentrating on how am I going to get clothes. And now in our day, we don't think about that near as much as they did in their day because clothes were harder to come by and they didn't have Walmart. They didn't have grocery stores. So if daily food was what they would maybe go to the market and buy and food would spoil quickly, not being able to keep it to preserve and those kind of things. And and often people in, in those kind of countries, there would be a, a wide disparity between the rich and the poor. And so the rich, you know, they didn't have any problems thinking about these things. It, it was just there. But the poor, you know, they were hoping to make money for their daily bread and, and hopefully be able to have it to go by. And so taking thought for those things. But this application isn't just about clothes. It's not just about food. It's about our lives in general. And, and he talks about that. But we often worry or fear about things in our lives. And for every person, it may be something different. Things that we contemplate on and allow us to put our concentration on that. Remember verse 24, no man can serve two masters. You either serve worry or you serve God. You serve fear or you serve God. And we must be careful. As human beings, that is one of our natural tendencies, is to lean towards worry, fear, and doubt. And God does not want us to do that. And He gives us three reasons here out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, His Son, why we don't need to worry. And the first, I want you to see in verse 26, He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. And verse 32 as well. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, or the world seeks after, for your Heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. The first reason is our Father. We don't need to worry because of our Father. Of all the names that Jesus Christ could have used for the name of God, He used Heavenly Father. In fact, it was Jesus' favorite name for God was the Father. He could have said the Almighty God, and, and that is correct. God is Almighty. He could have said the all-knowing God who knows the needs that you have. He could have said Jehovah Jireh or God that provides. He could have said those things and it would have fit the context. It would have fit perfectly. But that's not the wording that he chose. And, And I think that that's great because children depend on their parents almost unquestionably. When, when I travel, uh, my wife, they normally come with me, but because of the way my schedule is right now, I'm, I just came from Michigan yesterday, and I'll be in California this week, and then the next week I go back to uh, Illinois and I'm in a camp, and so it's just not possible for all of us to go together. But when, when we travel, most of the time they're with us, but when I first started traveling, I was traveling for college and I would represent in Christian schools and I might be gone for nine or ten days and then home for nine or ten days, but when I was out, I'd be out uh, in a different town every day, just go, go, go. And so when I'd leave, we noticed that one of my daughters struggled even more than the rest of them and and still to this day, she's ten years old, still to this day, she has probably more struggles than the rest of them when I'm gone. It's just emotional to her. Uh, And I remember she was two or three years old, and I was leaving, and so we were waiting till the, the last moment to tell her, and I think I was putting her to bed and telling her that in the morning that I was going to leave, and when I told her that I was going to leave, she said this, she said, Daddy, don't leave us, we will die, and you know, it was a little funny, but at the same time, I thought about that. As I drove the next day, I was thinking about that statement, and I thought, what does she mean by that? 
I don't know if she was thinking about protection, that she, you know, obviously not in that terminology, but maybe she viewed me as the person that is the, the wall of defense for her. Or maybe she views me as, even though I don't cook, even though I'm not the guy that you want providing your food for you, uh, I, 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 I do provide the money to go to the store and buy it. I don't even like shopping. I'm just, I'm just bad at it. Um, but maybe she viewed that from me as the source of her existence. And she trusts me for that. All of my kids do, as they should. You know, that's the view that we need to have to God. That I trust Him implicitly. That I am not afraid of tomorrow. I'm not afraid of what comes my way. No matter what things come my way, because He is my Heavenly Father and He cares about me. In another passage, Jesus says, if you ask your father for a fish, will he give you a snake? No, He wouldn't do that. If you ask Him for a piece of bread, or if, if your child asks you for a piece of bread, are you going to give them a stone instead as a, as a funny joke? No, you're not going to do that because you're good fathers. And He said, and I am a, my Father is a better Father than that. And so ask of your Father the things that you have need of and trust in Him for that because God wants to take care of you. David said in Psalm 37, I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God loves us and God wants to take care of us. And I heard somebody recently say they have kids. I think it's the Sunday school teacher in our church. They have kids who now have kids and they've asked their parents, did you love us as much as we love our kids? And the answer is yes. And those of you that have children, you understand that. And it, it is that I would do anything. Anything for them. There's no question about it. There's no, well, what if? No, there's no what ifs. And I think about that, that is only a picture, a pencil-drawn picture of the love that God has for us. We can only as a shadow, represent that love that God has for our children. And I think God shows us that so that we can see this is how much God cares about us. And He doesn't want us lacking in these things. And He also doesn't want us to worry about it. I don't want my kids concerned about where the food is going to be in the fridge. I don't want them to worry about, am I going to have clothes to go to school in this fall? I don't want them to worry about the things of life. Look, we are going to do everything we can to take care of you the way God wants us to take care of you. And God is going to do those things for us. Notice what he says in, in a couple of these verses. Verse 25, Therefore, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. In the New Testament, we know that there are many words for love and in English, we just say love. I, I, love, I, I love pizza. I, I love chocolate cake with chocolate frosting more than I love any other cake. But that is not the same as I love my wife and I love my kids. I would not do anything for chocolate cake. Maybe somebody would, but not as much as I would for my kids, okay? Uh, different words for love. We also have basically one word for life. But in in the original language, there were, there were more words for life. In fact, one of those words is bios, where we use that word, but it's, we also use it in conjunction biology, the study of life. But it's life that animals have, that plants have, it's biological life, and we have that as well. But that's not the word that was used. Another word that is used 
often is zoe, and most of the time in the New Testament, that word is used to refer to eternal life that God gives us, uh, that, that plants and animals don't have eternal life. But that's not the word that's used. In fact, the word that's used is typically not translated life. It's normally translated soul, the real you, your soul. In fact, I don't even like saying your soul. I like how C.S. Lewis said it. C.S. Lewis said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. We often think of this as us. But this is not us. This is, and yeah, some of us are saying, I'm glad this is not us. I'm glad that I'm going to shed this body one day and, and, and have an eternal body. And I don't know if that's going to represent me more, but I even think of our names. Our names are just a label on our box, right? Uh, and, and we see people, we meet them, and we put that name on them, but that is, your name is not who you are. You are who you are. Your soul, your inner person that will live forever someday. And God is saying, that's what I care about. And it's not that I don't care about your body, but I care about you. And you are so much more important than the food and the raiment. I am going to take care of that. And he goes on and he says in verse number 26, Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. God has a sense of humor, and I believe that he is expressing his sense of humor here. That Go look at the birds. They're not riding John Deere tractors. They're not, they don't even have a rototiller, right? They're, they're not out there like, hey, neighbor, how you doing? They don't have little barns. In fact, the only houses that birds have are the ones that we make for them. They're content with just taking some string and twigs and mud and making nests out of them. They're fine with that. They don't have barns. They don't, they don't have little refrigerators that they put food into and store. But God provides for the birds. And there are a lot of birds. God provides for them. And he says, are you not much better than a bird? I'm sorry, Peter, but God says that people are better than animals. And whether you like it or not, God is saying that I treat people better than I treat animals. You don't need to be concerned about the issues of life, but let God have those things. Because God is saying, I am taking care of those because I am your Father. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first my kingdom, and all these things are taken care of. I think sometimes we think we, we can take a verse out of context and say, well, be, because he said this, and we're, everybody's good. That's not what he says. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pursue God, pursue God's kingdom, and God will take care of all the rest. God will take care of you in your life. So my question is, are you pursuing God and the things of God? Are you, are you pursuing him? And, and he goes on and he says, Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Uh, I wanted to be 6'4". My whole life, I did. I wanted to be 6'4". I still, I'd, I'd do it today, although it's becoming less and less important today. I wanted to be 6'4 because I liked playing sports, and I felt like 6'4 is a good, it's a good number. If, if you get above you know, 6'4", in my mind, I felt like you can maybe lose some coordination and those kind of things, and, and so, you know, your career might be shorter or your abilities will be less, and I thought below, you know, six foot especially, you're going to struggle with, my favorite sport was basketball, and so, you know, I, I wanted to be 6'4". I thought, man, if you're 6'4", you can dunk easy. It's just, it's just a no problem, right? That was not what God had for me. You know, I remember growing up, and it seemed like the theme on TV and everywhere was believe in yourself. 
And one of the things that they said was, if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. That is so not true. Because I remember thinking in those days, well, I believe in myself, but I can't make myself 6'4". You know, that, that doesn't just happen because you think about it, and that's what he's saying. You can't just think about it and add a cubit, 18 inches to your stature. I was only going for a third of that. I was going six more inches, you know. Six more inches gets me to 6'4". You can't believe it however hard you want to believe it. It's not going to happen. And, and that tells us about worry because they say people worry about two things. Things that they can't change or things that are never going to happen anyway. So why, why worry about it? Why worry about it? I don't know the future. You don't know the future. Why don't we leave it in the hands of the one who does? And God is our Father and He knows and He cares. You know, today, we don't so much think about adding to our stature as more taking off our stature, right? And thought doesn't change that either. Thought doesn't change that either. But He says, your Father wants to take care of you, casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. And that's really the answer. What do I do with my worry? What do I do with my fears? What do I do with these things that are really in my life? The health situations, the family situations, the financial situations. What do I do with these things? You cast them upon God. You, you take them as if they were physical things and you say, Lord, they're yours. I, I don't want to be concerned with this. In fact, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to go to work when I'm supposed to go to work. And I'm going to work hard and I'm going to be a testimony and I'm going I'm to follow you like I'm supposed to and I'm going to go to the doctor like I need to go to the doctor. I'm going to do what I need to do. But beyond that, Lord, it's not in my hands because I can't control it. And God, because you can. And it may be your will to take it away. It may be your will for me to go through this. But Lord, I'm not going to go through it by myself. In fact, Lord, I'm going to let you lead the way. And that is casting my care upon Him. And it, and it may not be an instant cure. So, so often in every area of life, we want the magic pill, don't we? we? We want to be able, what's the secret to this that I can instantly fix this? And sometimes with this, on a daily basis, we have to cast our care upon Him. Lord, the devil's bringing this back up to my mind and I'm concerned about it again and I don't want to be... Lord, I, I'm going to give it back to you. As soon as that temptation comes to my mind, Lord, I'm just going to give it back to you. I'm going to trust in you. He gives us another reason, verse number 30. Verse number 30 says, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how, how, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I, I don't know if this was His idea, but it does seem like God is saying some nice things because he talked about flowers and Solomon and he's talked about adding the cubit and he's talked about birds and you know plowing fields or whatever. It, it's almost like, a, here's my sense of humor and in the midst of this, now we're going to bring truth and I'm going to take the sword of truth and I'm going to stab you with it a little bit because not only should we not worry because of our father, but secondly, because of our faith. And what he says here is, O ye of little faith, if you're worrying, you're not believing. If you're worrying, you're not trusting. If you're fearing, you're focusing on the situations, not the Father. You're focusing on that, you're, you're concentrating on that, and you're not concentrating on saying, it's not mine to take anyway. And the perfect example is in Matthew chapter 14. We don't need to turn there. But this is when Jesus sent the disciples to the other side of the lake, 
and, and he did not go with them. And then in the middle of the night, while they're in the storm, he is walking in the midst of the sea on the water, and they see him, and they're worried, and they're afraid. And so they call out to him, and I think it was Peter that said, Lord, if it, that, if it be thou, call me unto you. And so he says, it is I, be not afraid. Don't be worried. I am here with you in the midst of the storm. Even though you couldn't see me before, I was still here. And so he calls him out unto him, you know, and I think that's great. The Lord didn't have to do that. And so Peter steps out of the the boat and he's walking on the water. But what happens? He sees the wind and the waves that were boisterous and he was afraid. And he begins to sink in the water. And Jesus said to him the same phrase, Wherefore didst thou doubt, O ye of little faith? He said, you looked at your circumstances and you began to be afraid. You you looked at the circumstances around you and you began to worry. What is a wave under God's hand? What is a wind to God? It doesn't bother Him. He has more power than that. Our faith is our focus upon the Lord. Our faith is our grip upon His promises. And He's saying, grip on to God. Keep your focus on Him. Don't don't be concerned about the circumstances. They're there and they are real, but let God have those things in your life because God doesn't want you to be concerned about that. He wants you to give it to Him. There's many things that we we worry about. There's a list of things that I have found. People worry about weather. Uh, I found that the older my, my dad gets, the more weather concerns him for all different kinds of reasons. I remember there's a Christmas and they were going to come out and see us. We, we, at that time, we lived in Indiana, and they lived in Kansas, and so they talked about coming, and he calls me in October, and he says, ah, I'm not sure we're going to be able to make it. Why? And he says, well, it might snow. Dad, that's two or three months away. Let's, let's think about that when we get there, and if it snows then, we can deal with that, and that's just the way he's been. Uh, sometimes we, we worry about our jobs. And some people think, well, I've got job security. Look, there's always going to be garbage men, but that may not always be you. There's always going to be mailmen, we think, but it may not always be us. Our health is a factor there. I don't say that to worry. I say that our faith shouldn't be in our job security. It should be in the Lord. Uh, We can worry about war. We can worry about crime. Uh, We can worry about our house and the things that might go wrong and the hot water heater that might go bad and the the air conditioner that might go bad and how much that might cost and I might need a new roof and I might need this and we can worry about all the costs, but we don't need to worry about those things. God will take care of us when when those things come in our lives. Um, We can worry about sports. I know that I'm a sports fan and when my team is in the final four, I'm nervous. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't, if I, if they lose, I, there's certain people I don't want to see the next day. You know, I, I'm concerned about that. Um, we worry about our future. We can worry about death. We can worry about disease. There's always going to be another one. There's always going to be a, a, another Zika. There's always going to be another Ebola. There's always going to be another swine flu or bird flu or, or a coronavirus or there's always going to be another one. That's not in my hands. That's in God's hands. And I can't let that control my life. I'm glad to see that many churches have said, you know, we're, we're not going to let fear of these things stop us from doing what God wants us to do. 
We're not going to let other people's fear stop us. Pray for our Christian brothers in Canada. Some of the pastors are in jail or, or are under threat of arrest because they're not supposed to be meeting together still in Canada. Uh, all across the, the world, I, I have missionary friends in South America that they are meeting together, but it is illegal. They're not supposed to, but they're like, this is what God wants us to do, and we believe our government is using this against us. Um, there are churches where I live in North Carolina that I'm not sure they've met together yet. Um, they're for, for at least a year, they were still meeting in their parking lot, or people were meeting from home, and, and there's still people that often watch online, and I think, you know, that is forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as we're commanded to meet together. And there's a reason for that. I learned that, look, I didn't like watching online. I, I, I hate preaching online. Uh, I, it just, there's no connection. And, and I'll say there's less conviction as well. And there's no communication between believers. Uh, church is not just about this. It's, it's about this as well. And so we need to meet together. And God tells us so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, I think I see the day approaching. And, and God's word is clear that the day is approaching. And so, so much the more that we need to be together because people need me and I need people. And God works through people. That's why He's given us the gifts that He has so that we can work together. But don't let fear control your life. Let the Father control your life. And He says that's our faith. If you have time sometime, go to Isaiah chapter 40. It's one of my favorite chapters and it talks about the greatness of God. That nobody taught Him His wisdom. He always had it. That He is so powerful that the greatest forest on earth would not be large enough would not be great enough to burn for a sacrifice for him. All the animals of the world would not be enough to do him justice. That he sees the nations of the world as just a drop in a bucket. That, that they, are, they are as the dust in the scales. You know, the scales that they would take to a marketplace to measure the value of something, right? And sometimes you bring it out of your bag and because of the dust of the road, there may be a little bit of dust inside that scale. But it's so insignificant that you wouldn't wipe it out. It's just there. And he says, that's the nations to me. China does not worry God. Russia does not worry God. The United States does not worry God. Because God's power is that great. That is our God. That's the, that's the God in whom we have faith. And thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because He trusteth in thee. That's not my peace. That's God keeping me in peace when my faith is in Him. So three reasons. The first is because of our Father. The second is because of our faith. And thirdly, look at the last verse of the chapter. He says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof because of your future. And God's got that future. I want you to turn to John chapter 14, the last passage we'll look at. John chapter 14. And there's some interesting parallels here. It is not technically a parallel passage. This was completely different times. But Jesus says some things that are similar in chapter 14 of John, verse number 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Interesting, let not your heart be troubled. Take no thought. You believe in God, believe also in me. There's faith. In my Father's house, there's the Father, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Our future. If you're a believer today, 
If you have come to Christ and repented of your sins, trusting in His sacrifice for you, then that's your future. And His promises are true. I'm so glad that He promised this before He rose from the dead. Because because He had already said, I will rise from the dead, I think that's a lot harder to do than coming back from heaven. Don't you? To rise from the dead. And so the, the, the rising from the dead, His resurrection proves this before it happens, that it's going to happen. Because he said, yes, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. But before that, he's in the upper room with his disciples and says, don't be concerned about the things that are going to happen to you. Don't be concerned about those things. I am preparing a place for you. It's the Father's place. It's perfect. And we know that the Bible tells us in in other places, but specifically Revelation, that there's no more sorrow there. There's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. You know, you think about that, there's nothing in heaven to be afraid of. Nothing. You can't be hurt. There's no economy in heaven either. There's no needs. It's perfectly supplied by God if you had a need. It's God's place. His protection dwells there. He will rule that place. I think that our minds have no clear concept, but I do believe God gives us hints of what heaven is like. I, I'm, I've only been near Tahoe one time, but I felt like when I was, that it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And I think God gives us those kind of pictures for a reason, that, that let me give you a window. I think church is one of those windows. When people are living right within a church, and people help people, and people pray for people, and people are there to provide meals for people, that's a glimpse of heaven when people treat each other like they're supposed to treat each other, when they forgive when they're hurt, and all those kind of things. And that won't ha- hurt won't happen in heaven. It's God's place. It's a perfect place. It's prepared for. Now, I- I'm going to tell you right away, this is a little bit of speculation, a little bit of reading in, so I can't guarantee this, I can't promise this, but he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I do believe that none of our places are going to look alike. That's something that humans do. <laughs> we make hospitals where every room is alike, right? We make buildings uh, that everything looks similar. God doesn't do that. Even among oak trees, there's so many different oak trees. Every leaf is different all across the planet. Every snowflake is different. God loves variety. Every human being is different, and he knows that. And you say, how is that possible? I don't know. How is it possible that he makes every place different? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure mine's not going to be pink. I'm pretty sure about that. God can change my heart and my desires, but I doubt that. Now, that is a little speculation. And it also says, I'm going to prepare this place and I'm going to come again. He's been gone for almost 2,000 years. So, it took him six days to make the earth and the universe. And he's been gone for that long. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of times better, but why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? God is making that place for us. And then in verse 6, He tells us it's paid for. He says, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Because Thomas had asked Him, how are we going to get there? And He says, I am the way. And what was He referring to? He, you can't go into heaven. Nothing shall defile it. Revelation tells us. No, no one that's lied can defile heaven. So if you've ever told a lie, you can't go to heaven except by Jesus Christ. And what he was saying is, 
the wages of sin is death. We, we all owe our own penalty of, of sin, and that is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and he was referring to the fact that I am going to die, and when I do, because I am sinless, because I am the Son of God, my death pays for everybody. Because I am innocent, God will take that sacrifice for all mankind, and you can't come without being cleansed of your sin. Well, that only comes through Jesus Christ. And when He rose from the dead, He proved that. That He could give that new life. We can't have new life without the resurrection, and He proved that. And so, you say, well, preacher, why do you say that? Because the whole message I've been saying, God tells us not to worry. But, if there's never been a time in your life where you came to God by faith and turned from your sin, then you should worry. There is something you need to be worried about, and that is your eternity, where you will spend forever. If there has not been a time where you came to God by faith in Jesus Christ, that He is the way, that He paid that price, then you should be afraid. You should be concerned. Christian, you should be concerned about those that you know that aren't saved, that don't know that. But you don't have to be because Jesus is the way and He provided that way. And He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm so glad that He made it easy enough for my children to respond to Him in faith. I'm so glad for that. Has there been a time for you? My friend who pastors in Virginia several years ago, uh, his son went for a well checkup. I think he was six months old, maybe one years old. I'm not really really remembering all the details. And uh, the doctor said, look, everything seems good, but there's something that concerns me, and I'm not an expert in this area, so I, I want you to go see a specialist. And so they called the specialist and just happened to have a window open. Uh, so they said, yeah, we'll get him in there. And so got him in there and checked, and that specialist was a heart specialist. And he said, yo, sure enough, there is something wrong with the heart. And so they, they did some investigation and found that there is an artery that was too small, and so the heart was overworking to get blood through that artery. And they say sometimes a child will be 9 or 10 years old, and they'll, they'll just pass, pass away in, in a playground somewhere because their heart couldn't take it. But we're fortunate to catch this. So they said, we'll do the surgery. And if possible, and it was, we'll go through the rib cage. We won't have to do open heart. So they were able to go through the rib cage to do that surgery. But uh, immediately, the bladder stopped working at all. Uh, it just didn't work at all. And they, they could not understand why uh, it wasn't working. And, and so we started praying about that at home. The baby's still in the hospital. And then there was an infection. Uh, they didn't know that it was an infection. The white blood cell count went through the roof. I mean, there was one doctor that said it may be leukemia, and so it scared everybody. And so we're, we're all praying about this and, and bringing it to the Lord. And I'm, and I'm thinking, as a friend, uh, what do I do? Do I need to drop what I'm doing and go and, and, and be with my friend? Because it, it was bad. And finally, they, they looked at the incision, and, and it was just an infection, and it was getting really bad. Well, I mean, it, it was bad enough that if the child had gone home within 24 hours, they probably would have died and not known why, but it would have gone septic. And so they were cleaning it out, but every day they had to clean it out. Every day they had to clean it out, and it just didn't seem to get clean. And then 30 days later, uh, they were starting to see some progress, and after 31, they were able to go home. And just around that same time frame, and they had said, look, the bladder's not working. You may have to you know, have a, a 
a colostopy forever. And, but right about that time, the bladder just started working again. And you say, well, why did all that happen? You know, I don't know all the details of it. And it's not always going to turn out good. I mean, that, that little boy is six or seven years old today, and you'd never know that there was ever an issue with him. But what they found out was that in the state of Virginia, if a child is in the hospital for 30 days or more, the, uh, the state can decide to write it off. And there was a mistake that the doctor had made uh, at one point. And so because of that, the doctor recommended, hey, let's just uh, let's, let's get it paid for. And the state said, yes, we'll pay for that. Now, it, there were hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in hospital bills, as I'm sure you would know. And it was all gone. And God took care of it. Now, God knew from day one that he was going to take care of that. But we didn't. And in the midst of it, there was concern. There was worry. I was worried. There was fear. And it may not always turn out this way, but it's to say that God was in control the entire time and didn't want anybody to worry about that situation. And I don't know what situation that you might be in or where you're tempted to worry, but God does not want you to worry, but He wants you to place your faith in your Heavenly Father. Would you do that? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, you know, I don't know the need of your heart today, but, but God does, and, and He has spoken to you, I'm sure. And the first thing I want to address is this. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you came to God as you are and said, Lord, I, I am a sinner. I admit that. And, and I believe that Jesus Christ